Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of the Words and Nerds podcast. Danny V here, and today I am super duper excited to welcome Mary Anastasiu, Creative Director at Imagine Creative, Creative Director at Larrikin House, and author of the I Want to Be a series. I want to be a movie star. I want to be a rock star. And her latest book, I Want to Be a Sports Star. I'm pretty sure I want to be a podcaster is coming up next. Welcome, Mary. Hi. It's <laughs> so lovely to have you. It's so lovely to actually be here, finally. Finally. I mean, we talk a lot. We talk a lot, you know, not on the podcast. So we've got to really sort of rein it in, be sensible, stay on track. I don't even know if that's possible. I don't know that that's possible. I think we're already off track. (laughs) Do I get off track with the first It's not going to take much, right? (laughs) So, Mary, can you tell me what the I Want to Be a series is about? Give us the elevator pitch. Uh, the Elevator Pitch essentially is it's a series of books that kind of look outside of the general idea of um, becoming famous for the sake of being famous. So the idea of looking at the different genres like movie and rock star and sports star and kind of exploring all of the different elements within that and all of the different kinds of sports star you can be or the kinds of movie star that you can be or the kind of rock star that you can be. Hmm. And talking about sports star, what kind of sports stars have you got? Um, in the book, we've got mostly Olympic, um, Olympic kind of sports. So there's fencing and there's uh, cr- cricket and basketball and um, tennis. And we've even got skateboarding and swimming, all sorts of amazing things, surfing. And so, Mary, if you had to choose a sport out of your book that you would do on the weekend, which one would you choose? Fencing, skateboarding? None of the ones in my book, <laughs> Anyone that knows me would know that sports is really not my my jam, right? Yeah, that's why I asked. (laughs) Thanks for putting me on the spot like that. I need to love it. Have you got curling in here? You don't have curling? That's (laughs) an Olympics. Um, The selfie stick, like selfies. Oh, that should be an Olympic sport. sport. I think you you and I might get gold and silver for that. I'm not sure. I reckon. I reckon. We'd be up there. We'd be certainly representing our country in the selfie stick arena. Queen, self-proclaimed. <laughs> and what filter is she using now? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to give away my secrets. All my secrets. Yes, you have these incredible filters which make you look oh. not even like yourself. Remember, you did. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> about my real photos. You're talking <laughs> no. about Snapchat. No. See, I went and had a coffee with Mary, and she showed me this picture, and it seriously didn't even look like my face anymore. It was it was cool, yeah. but it was weird. Snapchat's got all of these really amazing. Oh, books. Snapchat! Okay. Yeah, the one that I played with with you was a 1950s pinup girl. Ooh. Filter. So it kind of made you look like, you know, a 1950s pinup girl. Correct. Interesting. Correct. Which is very cute. It was. It was very cute, but it was a little bit scary too. Um, tell me about Sports Star and how it's different from the other books. 
besides the obvious? Well, look, the, the reality is that the first two books came out um, they were an extension of kind of the sorts of things that I used to dream about when I was a kid. So um, not a lot of people know, but I used to be a singer when I was younger. I used to do stage shows. I used to do all sorts of stuff when I was a kid and I wanted to be a rock star, but um, that wasn't on the cards. When you come from a European family, it kind of wasn't one of those things that my parents went, yeah, sure, you want to be a rock star, go for it. Mm, no. Um, so... I think what ended up happening with those two books, for example, was that I, as I started to get older and shows like um, American Idol and and The Voice started to kind of come, come up and be quite prolific, I was watching these shows and realising that there was a whole bunch of kids that were actually becoming famous for the sake of becoming famous and not a lot of them had a lot of background in terms of understanding different genres and some of them didn't even have like a musical experience, they could sing but didn't necessarily couldn't play an instrument or any of that stuff. So um, I wrote those two initially almost in response to that idea of seeking fame for the sake of seeking fame, yeah? And then Sports Star kind of came along as just a natural progression of those two because I was looking at, you know, the idea of fame is one thing but then we start looking at things like, you know, where are other kids looking to achieve dreams? And it's sports, for example. And then potentially moving on from sports star, there could be a whole series on careers. So, you know, I want to be a librarian, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a fireman, I want to be that kind of stuff. So it, the books in themselves are an opportunity to kind of give kids um, inspiration uh, to think about things outside of just that as I said before, just that um, initial idea of I want to be a sports star. What kind do you want to be? Mm. Mm. And I imagine with the rise of YouTube, my kids always compare me to Minecraft YouTubers and say, oh, 35,000 listeners a month, that's nothing because my favourite YouTuber has a million followers and, you know, it's fairly insulting. But anyway, so <laughs> you think with the rise of YouTubers and social media, it's a crowded space, but it also doesn't seem too hard to become famous, even though I'm sure it is. So it's interesting that kids have this sort of perspective now about just wanting to be famous. Well, social media is a classic for that. Like, mm. the is there's so many influencers out there. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of influencers that are out there doing amazing things. But when you're raised in a digital environment and you're, you're, you're exposed constantly to these external digital platforms, social media, whether it's, you know, Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or whatever... And you see all of these people doing all of these amazing things. As a child, you assume that these things are actually real. And the reality is that maybe some of that stuff actually isn't real and it's mm. just part for socials, yeah? Mm. So you just make these assumptions based on the things that you see because you don't have the cognitive um, experience to be able to look at it objectively and go, that might not be true. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think kids do have, a, have a, an opportunity or, you know, have come into a situation where, they look at stuff like that and think, yeah, I can do that because, you know, they probably can. Mine doesn't have a, my son, Luke, doesn't have a YouTube channel or anything like that, but he's he does all of that too. He watches YouTube and he watches all of his, you know, favourite influencers and, and, and gamers and all that sort of stuff and he watches them play games and you just go, really? You're going to spend five and a half hours on a Saturday just watching someone else play a game? Yeah, yeah. It's, 
it's it's the example like it's it's the epitome of passively watching something because you're not just passively watching tv you're passively watching someone else play a game i find it mind-blowing as well but trust me they have millions of people watching i know my kids keep telling me how unpopular i am in comparison well yeah i get it my son used to talk to me about when he was younger he, there was this particular minecrafter that he used to watch all the time Ooh. and he was convinced that i would take him to the uk one day and would be able to just knock on this guy's door it'd be pretty cool to sit around and play minecraft all day and get paid for it i mean i wouldn't say no if i could play minecraft that is no, absolutely maybe, maybe that's-, that's your next book mary i want to be a gamer Oh my god! I think we've just got book four after podcast or book five. Cool, no. done, locked no. in. No. <laughs> no. I want to. I want to encourage kids to get away from screens. Yeah, no. <laughs> now I saw on socials that you were recently in this amazing newspaper, this Greek newspaper. I'm going to probably say this in a non-Greek way: uh, Neos Cosmos. How do I say oh, it properly? That wasn't bad. Really? Can, can you say it the proper way? Well, it's Neos Cosmos, which means. Ooh. Yeah, it means new world in Greek. Can I try it? How do you say it again? Neos. Neos. Cosmos. How was that? Was that terrible? All right. Okay, cool. I can now speak Greek, everyone. Um, What was (laughs) I taught you the swear words yet? You can't speak Greek until you learn how to swear. That will be afterwards. All right. Uh, Tell me, this must be really exciting. You were saying that your parents would have been really proud and you got this full page spread like in Greece. You're obviously very famous, Mary. Tell me all about this. Um, it was actually a funny thing when I started to um, cl- clearly Crystal has done some um, Crystal Kosher has done some um, media releases and stuff for me in the lead up to the launch of Sports Star, um, and it's one of those things that most authors do. They kind of try and put their feelers out to as many um, editors or magazines or publications as they possibly can to try and get as much exposure or as much you know media. Um, as they can prior to you know the launch of the book and I don't know for some reason for some reason in my head I kind of went you know what maybe I should just try the Greek paper like growing up the Greek paper was the thing that my parents used to just wait for every week right because that was the only way that they could kind of connect with you know what was going on overseas and all that sort of stuff and it was in their language and they they could read it and all that sort of stuff which was which was really cool for them but I don't know something just kind of said why don't you just try them because the reality is, um, and I and I've said this to a couple of people since since having um, had uh, the article done in Nels Cosmos. I've actually said when you're actually looking at potentially doing media, don't rule out ethnic papers or um, papers that are culturally aligned with you, because they're interested in those stories. They're interested in those success stories of people that have kind of who have got the same background as them. So. Um, the response was really quick. It was almost like less than less than three hours. As soon as I sent wow. the email out to the editor, he kind of reached out straight away and it happened within 24 hours. So um, it was just one of those things. And, you know, having read it, he asked me all sorts of questions, which was really interesting. He asked me questions about my mum and dad. He asked me about, and that was what he was interested in. He was interested in, you know, heritage, how my parents kind of got to Australia, how I ended up kind of, you know, writing this book, why I wrote the book. So it was kind of, he was asking about the journey, essentially, um, from a holistic point of view, not just necessarily about the book, but about my culture and about my history and about my parents' history. So, um, yeah, it ended up being a great article. I wasn't expecting a full-page spread, I've got to admit, but, you know, Luke was really chuffed when we 
picked up the newspaper and there was his little face on the front. Oh, of it's really special. It's really special because it's, you know, Greek paper and full page and your parents would have loved it and you got your son in it as well. It's pretty special. Oh, yeah, my dad would have, my dad would have been beside himself. It was a <laughs> I was saying to my sister the other day, had he been here, I probably wouldn't have told him that it was going to be in there and I would have just turned up at their house and waited for him to open up the paper. <laughs> see the look on his face that would have been fun oh that's really nice uh why do you write for kids mary um i think for me because books were a way for me to escape when i was a kid so um not that i had a difficult childhood i had a great childhood like lots of fun things to do and you know i came from a culturally rich environment so um but books were a way for me to kind of go wherever I wanted to. Like I could close the door in my room and I could sit for hours and hours and hours and I could be with fairies or I could be with wizards or I could, do you know what I mean? So it was it was a way of giving me an opportunity to go and explore different places that I may never see in, in a lifetime. And I'm a very imaginative kind of like people speak to me in words and I see things in pictures. So books do that for me. Like when I read something, I actually see it. So it was kind of a real um yeah it was an out- outlet for me mm. well it's good that you enjoyed it and then you're giving back to the community with your own art and your own work that's pretty right. cool yeah well like i said i wanted to be a rock star but that wasn't on the <laughs> mary it's never too late well you know it's not no. you could be a rock star any day now no, my dream of being kylie minogue was taken <laughs> maybe we could do like a duet sort of situation i love it yeah, what do you reckon? Sure. I grew up with Mel and Kim, which probably shows how old I am. So we can be kind of like. Yeah, well, I'm much older than you, my love. <laughs> don't, even... <laughs> don't even ask me who I grew up with. <laughs> I'm much older than you. Like... No, I wouldn't say much. Mate, I grew up with Duran Duran, Boy George, and the Eurythmics. Oh, yeah, I loved Boy much. George. I and, loved and Boy George. Bay City Rollers. That's how old I am. The Bay City right. Rollers. That's something my dad listened to. <laughs> Well, there you go. There you go. Now, we're going to change lanes a little bit here because you do a very important job as creative director at Larrikin House. What is your role at Larrikin House as creative director? I'm the queen, really. Well, yes, but do you just sit around wearing a crown or do you actually do something else? I wear a crown and I have a staff and I tell James how it is quite often. we, we We all know that. But is there something you actually do to contribute to the publishing? Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the creative director of Larrikin House, which essentially means that I, once a manuscript is signed, I uh, take over from that point and I find the right illustrator to match the, the manuscript and I liaise with both the author and the illustrator to get the best possible illustrations for the books. And then once the illustrations are completed, I do the artwork and the design work for the actual final um, books and then organise them to go out to print. Now that sounds really easy, Mary. It sounds like just find the perfect illustrator, do the artwork, put it all together, print, put the crown back on. But I imagine, (laughs) and I don't just imagine, I I do know, that sometimes it's a little bit more challenging than that. So without being too specific, Miss Mary. Yes. Why don't you tell us about some challenges in a general sense about illustrator, author, artwork, creating these beautiful, because I've got to say, before I was signed with Larrikin, I loved their book. <laughs> the, the picture books are just 
beautiful they look beautiful they feel beautiful the paper is beautiful i'm a massive book nerd obviously but they've always been beautiful books and not only that they're funny great different um out of the box books and so i was a big fan of larrikin house you know when they first started because i just loved what they did so tell me about the journey of creating these beautiful books but i want to hear the challenges in a general sense well i think uh, like thank you for saying that about the books because really they're my babies it's a it's a funny thing you get really attached to every single book or I get really attached to every single book that we create so to hear you say that you fell in love with them and a couple of people have actually said that too but Mm. you know it's it's also a testament to um to James in that we kind of came together with this idea that we wanted to produce really beautiful books so his his dream was always to produce you know funny books that engaged kids and you know gave them a sense of wanting to actually read um, to encourage reading and to do do it in a funny way. Um, and my dream was always to produce beautiful books. So I, you know, um, having had Luke and seen some of the quality of the books that, you know, have been out there, there was a part of me that kind of went, oh, I wish I could do this and I wish I could do this better. So um, when I did the self-publishing journey, I was really limited in terms of what I was, what I could and couldn't do from, from a printing point of view. So when James came along and said, I don't care, I just want to produce beautiful books, that was like music to my ears, yeah? Um, In terms of challenges, I think sometimes meeting the expectation of both the author and the illustrator can be a little bit tricky. Also also meeting um, the high expectation. I mean, James has expectations uh, um, and, you know, nine times out of ten we're on the same page with everything yeah, but occasionally, you know, um, we might not necessarily agree on something. So I have to compromise or he has to compromise or whatever. But I think it's a relatively easy process. Like he kind of lets me do my own thing, which is one of the reasons why I love actually doing what I do because I don't have anyone kind of saying, no, that's not right or whatever. So mm, that sounds really good. But it does sound tricky in terms of trying to meet everyone's expectations at the end of the day as the publisher and, you know, the creative director of a publishing company, you just have to sometimes make the calls, I imagine. Yeah. Well, sometimes there's been instances, for example, where, you know, we've had an illustrator potentially working on a project and um, they're not quite hitting the mark in terms of the pencil sketches. Yeah. And you just go, oh, I don't know what to do here. And you go round one, not quite working, round two, not quite working. And then, you know, you have to kind of decide whether it's worth pursuing with that particular illustrator or they're not necessarily quite getting it and therefore won't necessarily give us the best outcome so we have had situations where we've had to kind of switch gears and make a decision on Mm. on that which isn't necessarily fun it's not no I can imagine Mm. but it's always got to be about the end product doesn't it because a lot of money goes into producing a picture book absolutely absolutely they're not a cheap exercise and sometimes though mary it's magic you know sometimes you go oh my god this illustrator was meant for this manuscript and you know sometimes you get that magic right yeah well look i have to be honest in saying i think the the like i've produced some beautiful books and not just because i've produced them but (laughs) no they are they're beautiful well no we have we have produced Mm. absolutely beautiful books come across some amazingly talented illustrators and it's just been a joy in the last two and a half years it's been a joy but i have to say the book that probably the book that not that i love the most because because i love them all Mm. right but my Shadow is Pink was that story that, yeah. you know, I came across this story and it was actually a, like 
my relationship with James was a serendipitous thing, right? So when Scott came along, it was because we were looking for an illustrator. And I was part of a, an illustrator's group and he posted this illustration of a dad with a little kid. And it was really kind of 70s and it reminded me of the Jetsons. Yeah. So, so I reached out to him and I said, look, we've got a couple of books that we're interested in potentially finding an illustrator for. Is, is that something that you might be interested in? And he said, absolutely. But I've got this manuscript. Would you be interested in reading it? So I said, sure, send it across. So he sent it across to me. And I read it and I started to cry. Mm. And I thought, we have to absolutely, we absolutely have to publish this story. Mm. So I took it to James and I said, I know it doesn't necessarily fit our funny kind of... But I think it does fit. You know, it does fit the Larrikin brand because even though they're funny... But it's quirky and it's different. It's pushing boundaries, you know, like it's perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, on initial read, it wasn't the kind of story that I thought he would kind Mm -hmm. of resonate with. But he read it and he had the same visceral response to it. So um, I just said to him, if you're not going to take it, I'm just going to go fund me and I'm going to do it myself. Luckily, he was happy to just to do it. And the rest is history. I am I can't tell you how proud I am of that. Uh, you should be proud. I've seen My Shadow is Purple and it is the, the follow-up to Pink and it is just as glorious as Pink. I don't, want to, I don't want to say more so, but it's just amazing what he's doing. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. The reality is Scott did all, pretty much all of the work on both of those um, books. All I did was refine the production and make sure that it fit all of the production criteria that we needed to follow. Um, but it was essentially all Scott. And, it, and My Shadow is Pink has been a phenomenal success and I really I cannot wait to just sit back and watch the success of Purple. I really, I'm really excited about uh, this. Look, I, I, I hope it's, it's as um, widely appealing and accepted as My Shadow is Pink because yeah. My Shadow is Pink has transformed, yeah. trans- transformed lives and made it okay. Yeah, it has. Yeah. And, and it's funny, my son has worn a dress since he could stand or sit and he borrows his sister's dresses and I've always just gone you do you buddy yeah but I've said to him you know people might say stuff but as long as you don't care you don't care and so he's always been that kid that wears a dress and he's like this dress has got cool pockets you know and he'll yeah. wear clips in his hair to soccer training yeah. and he just does it and wants to and so that book you know was really cool to sort of validate him as well you know and and we're not alone because you know we know that there are kids out there who they're just kids you know why are we telling kids what they should be wearing you know the interesting thing for me too was when Luke was really little because I'm a single parent I've been a single parent since he was two I used to take him with me wherever I'd go so when I was getting I'd go and get my nails done or I'd go and have a manicure or pedicure or whatever and he would come with me and normally you'd see kids kind of sitting in the or the parent would, you know, give them an iPad and go, here, go do that, right? And I kind of went, no, he can join in. You yeah. Know? I'm not thinking anything of it. It was just one of those things, right? So he would sit and have a manicure and a pedicure while I was having a manicure and a pedicure. And I can't tell you the kind of judgment and the kind of looks that I would get. Really? And yeah, yeah. Like they'd be looking at me going, why wow. are you going his nails? And it's like. It's just nail polish, yeah. It comes wow. off. Well, yeah. that's interesting. I've always painted my son's nails just because it's something to do while we're sitting around in the lounge room. Didn't think anything of it. No. Well, you know, you might not think anything of it. I might not think anything of it. But, you know, the world is a judgmental place. And that's why we need those beautiful books in the world to uh, to show us that there's another way and to validate kids' behaviours, you know, and let them and let them be who they are. So, yeah, I, I think that book is amazing and I'm so excited for Purple to come out this year too. Yeah, I'm excited too. 
Mary, I love speaking to you. I could speak to you for another four hours. I'm not sure how listeners would feel about that. And I'm sure it would go downhill from there. Um, and I would imagine <laughs> seconds, but that's okay. <laughs> the half an hour episode took me four hours to edit. But, yeah. but I love hearing about your journey as a writer as well as creative director for Larrikin House. I love how, you know, we've watched this small publishing company, you know, grow and continue to grow and it's going to keep growing in the future because of, you know, the people behind it, which is, you know, yourself as creative director, the amazing authors and the incredible illustrators that we have on board for the wheelhouse. And, um, you know, I think everyone, the the really special thing I think about Larrikin House is that everyone who is behind it believes in it. Absolutely. Like everyone behind it just believes in this thing. Absolutely. It's actually a really, he's, he's managed, keep telling him, he's managed to pull together a really passionate team. And it's interesting because he surrounded himself with really strong women, which is really interesting. We are incredibly passionate, all of us, uh, Crystal and Abby and the work that you're doing, myself, all of the people that he surrounded himself with in terms of Larrikin House, they're really strong and passionate. And I think because of the quality of the books that we're producing and the level of manuscripts and quality of the manuscripts that we're producing, I think this is why people are really passionate about it because they can see that we're doing something different. It's not, you know... Um, it's not just picture book publishing for the sake of picture book publishing. We're publishing things that we really kind of, we love. Like if we don't love it, we're not going to publish it. Mm. So yeah. if, it's, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. Well, yeah, I've heard that on the grapevine. Mm. So somewhere along the line I heard, I heard that. I, I cleaned it up a little bit. Yes. But you get the drift. Well, you know, I, I like the other tagline myself. We take fun seriously. I actually think that's a really cute tagline. Yeah. Because it is. It's true. And if yeah. we're not laughing, we're not, you know. Yeah, exactly. I love it too. I don't think it's just a tagline for uh, the publishing company. I think it's a tagline for life, Mary. Okay. I will bear that in mind. It's your next tattoo. I can feel it. I've got too many already. I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm done. At 54, darling, I think I'm done with the tattoos. I think that's it. Unless you become a rock star and then you're going to have to get a few tattoos to suit that whole. No, I told you, I picked too early. I did not. I did. No, it's never it's never too late, Mary. I expect to see you at, you know, some stadium, musical f- music festival. I'll be there in the mosh pit. I'll be there. I will uh, I will forever live my life vicariously through my rock star book. How's that? <laughs> Perfect. Well, I want to be a sports star. Amazing. I love the message it has for kids and it is a beautiful book. So thank you, Mary. Thanks for the chat. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. The Words and Nerds Universe content is created by many talented people. We have the usual episodes and live streams hosted by me, Danny B. There are three regular spin-offs, the popular Burgers, Beers and Books hosted by Ben Hobson, the regular Takeover hosted by Nathan J. Phillips, and a different page hosted by Josie Layton. Check the Words and Nerds website for more details. We also have Takeover episodes where an author interviews another author and they take the conversation wherever they like. Throughout the year, we also have short spin-offs like the Summer Series Takeover, the NaNoWriMo Series and the Publishing Insider Series. You can find all of these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll also find us on social media on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds Podcast. Stay safe and read more books.